and we're Kerber's Kids. The Kids Talk, your monthly graphic novel review. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we review the December 2020 graphic novel of the month, Elf Quest. And joining me is Ray. Ray, how are you? I'm great. Hello, everybody. This was one fantastic read. We delved into the complete Elf Quest Volume 1, the original quest. Elf Quest is the longest running independent fantasy graphic novel series in the United States with more than 20 million comics graphic novels, and other publications imprint. The story of Cutter, chief of the Wolf Rider tribe of elves, and his quest to find others of his own kind on the world of two moons. ElfQuest was first published in 1978 by creators Wendy and Richard Paney. This particular volume collects the first 20 issues and spans from 1978 to 1980. Dark Horse put it all together in its original black and white format and came out with it in August of 2014. However, anyone can go right now to ElfQuest.com to the archive section and read all 20 issues online and they're in color. So with that, Ray, as we always do with our reviews, let's head over to a little Kirby Colonel, a little Colonel of Knowledge about our namesake, Jack. Hey, Wilford, fire up the tractor. I'm to harvest another Kirby Colonel. And in this Kirby Colonel segment, we're going to discuss Wendy Peeney and Jack Kirby. They actually knew one another, and this is quite the relationship. Wendy actually cites Jack as being one of her professional senseis, as she says. The Ying, along with Asumo Tezuka being the Yang, in how she developed her unique art style. At the age of 19, Wendy showed her portfolio to Jack Kirby, and Jack, recognizing young Wendy's talent, said kiddingly, Young lady, if I ever see you in comics, I'll give you a spanking. (laughs) I believe Jack meant that her talents were so good, she should be doing something better with those talents than comics. Well, sure enough, after years of developing her style and the success of ElfQuest as an independent comic, she would often find herself in the artist alley with Jack at larger comic conventions. Wendy would walk over to Jack, or if she was at a nearby table, would yell, Oh, Jack, I'm still waiting for my spanking. (laughs) To which Jack would turn bright red with embarrassment. And as Wendy describes, react like Ben Grimm, the thing from the Fantastic Four, which she said, Jack indeed is that character. There was also another time that a fan brought Wendy a bouquet of carnations. And Wendy snuck up behind Jack. Jack was so focused on drawing an illustration for a fan, stuck the carnation in his hair. This caused all the folks in line to look at Jack oddly and burst into laughter before Jack figured out what the elvish sprite Wendy had playfully done to him. Wendy had a lot of love and respect for Jack, and I can't help but feel that Jack had a lot of love and respect for her, too, and Richard, for making ElfQuest the independent success that it became, and as creatives, following their unique vision and path. I'm not sure we've reviewed another author, author that's had quite the same relationship with Jack, this kind of uh, friendly, it's not just banter, it goes a little more than that, right? There's there's almost a familiar familial friendship there. Yeah, no doubt about that. 
No doubt about that, Ray. I mean, you got the kind of, she says mentor and she cites, we'll talk about this a little more, but she cites two very polar opposite characters as mentor, at least stylistically, I think. And that, that's really interesting in and of itself. And then to have this relationship where she first met Jack is, you know, a, a very young person that was aspiring and, you know, Jack kind of giving her almost fatherly advice and then her taking that to heart and 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 embracing that relationship and feeling free to give him a hard time. I suspect Jack was, he definitely was kind of a, a rough and tumble personality, right? He very much was Ben Grimm, as she, as she pointed out. And I don't know how many people got away with teasing him the way that she would have, but that, that sounds really cool. Yeah, it does sound very cool. And I think you're right. I don't think a lot of folks got away with that teasing. However, with Jack having kids and her being basically the age of his kids, I think there was a little bit of fatherly love there being bestowed on Wendy and him recognizing the tremendous talent that she had at a very young age. I'll also say, remember Jack, along with Roz, would routinely invite the neighborhood kids over into their basement while Jack was working in Long Island and they would see the master at work. You know, he understood his audience quite a bit. So although rough and tumble, I think at the same time, there was a big, big soft spot in his heart, particularly for those that he found were earnest in their creative process and truly wanting to do something with themselves. So I think a lot of respect and a lot of love there for Wendy on a professional level, no doubt about it. Well, they shared they shared common traits as both artist and storyteller. And I guess we should probably talk about that in Creative Chatter. Indeed, indeed. So let's head over to a little Creative Chatter about our artist and writer, Wendy Peeney, and writer and publisher, and her spouse, Richard Peeney. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. Creative Chatter. Wendy Fletcher, being her maiden name, was born in San Francisco in 1951 and from an early age demonstrated talents later to come to fruition as a professional illustrator and eventually as the creator of ElfQuest. Her youthful interest in fantasy was inspired in part by such luminaries as Shakespeare and Kipling. Oh, that's pretty lofty. She took artistic inspiration from Victorian illustrators such as Arthur Rackman and Edmund Dulac. Designers such as Walt Disney, Doug Wilde, and Erte, as well as comic book greats such as Jack Kirby and Japanese manga artist Asuma Tezuka. Wendy Fletcher and Richard Peeney met when Richard read a letter of Fletcher's that had been published in issue number five of the Silver Surfer comic book. A correspondence began spanning a period of four years, and as Richard had recounted, it was rare to see a girl or woman writing into comic books. A lot of the times it was boys and young men. The two eventually married in 1972, and Wendy embarked upon a career as an illustrator for sci-fi magazines. Richard, however, pursued a degree from MIT and a position at Boston Hayden's Planetarium as a lecturer after he graduated with a degree in astronomy. He was a photographer, scriptwriter, and special effects technician. Later, he taught high school astronomy, then worked for IBM until ElfQuest became a full-time occupation. Wendy contributed several covers and illustrations to Galaxy Science Fiction and Galileo magazines in the mid-1970s before launching ElfQuest in 1978. Prior to the widespread publication of ElfQuest, Wendy was also known for dressing up at fan conventions as Red Sonia and co-authored a story with then-editor Roy Thomas called The Singing Tower that appeared in Red Sonia, 
Volume 1, Issue Number 6, November 1977. In addition to ElfQuest, Wendy also created two graphic novels based on the TV series Beauty and the Beast, and has illustrated occasional stories for both Marvel Comics and DC Comics. She wrote an introduction to the first volume of The Gargoyles Trade Paperback, and mentions being a fan of the show. Now, she has also a tie-in with Michael Moorcock and his seminal character, Elric of Malnebene. Stormbringer, Wendy wrote a book documenting her attempt to make an animated film project of the Stormbringer series. Lawn Chaos, the Stormbringer animated film project, was published by Father Tree Press, an imprint of Peenies, in 1987. The book contains original artwork, information on the characters, an overview of the plot, and Wendy Peeney's personal investment in the project. The film never reached completion. However, the full content of Lawn Chaos may be found on the Mask of the Red Death website. Mask of the Red Death, 2007. Wendy then turned her attention to a new project, totally unrelated to ElfQuest, taking the Edgar Allan Poe short story, Mask of the Red Death as a starting point. She adapted the tale into both graphic novel and webcomic formats, giving it a futuristic dystopic slant. The publisher's description reads, in a decadent, perfect future, Anton Prosper uses his vast fortune and scientific genius to seek the ultimate power of life over death. But when the beautiful prodigy Stefan Kabbala enters Prosper's life, he unlocks a tempestuous passion that may send the entire planet hurling into a bloody maelstrom of destruction. Wow. So this would normally be where you talk about a writer, an artist, maybe even a co-writer or inker. But in this case, we've got really one major talent here with story writing help from her, uh, from Richard, right? I mean, this is really all her show. Yeah, this is all her show. She completely did the story arc. Richard assisted in essentially helping her organize her thoughts. And she admits that Richard is the business side of the house here. He truly made it his job to learn the publishing industry and figure out how they could go about this career as partners doing it independently, which is an amazing thing. He was the ultimate support enabler for all of Wendy's talents to shine and be commercially successful. This is a case, I think, it's a little bit like Jack and his wife's partnership, where the, you know the talents of each that are brought to the, the relationship end up complimenting each other and they sort of live in this same world in a, in a very, a way that could get really uncomfortable and myopic, but it doesn't like it becomes, they're just both, they feel like they're both fans of their work as, as well as the creators of them. And they connect really well with their fan base. And I remember her, there's a, several videos online uh, of her talking that are fun to watch. And one of them, she was talking about this relationship she has with Richard and how they would make long drives across, across country. And Richard would kind of be her sounding board. You know, they'd be sort of telling the story out loud and working through uh, character arcs and things like that. And I just think I, that was really cool. We also have to wonder, I think a little bit, we have an elf in the story who is obsessed with the stars called Skywise. And I would assume that that obviously owes some, a little bit of a nod to her husband's profession there, or, or perhaps uh, the, the aim of his profession before he became her partner in crime. No doubt about it. There is no doubt about that at all. And that encapsulation is the perfect segue over into a little comics archaeology, where we will delve into the 1970s fantasy comics boom.
Well, Ray, to set the stage here, I wanted to visit that time, which really was the perfect storm for ElfQuest to be birthed in. The comics boom of the 1970s as it related to fantasy as a genre mirrored the literature and fiction popularity of the late 60s and 1970s fantasy genre boom. You had Tolkien, Fritz Lieber, Michael Moorcock, Robert E. Howard, Edgar Rice Burroughs, all being either rediscovered, repackaged. There was a fervor surrounding fantasy as a genre. Yeah, modern fantasy in America was really born in the 70s. I mean, obviously, all of these people have been writing. You can go back to the 20s for people like Edgar Rice Burroughs. You can go back further than that for people like William Morris and Lord Dunsany and other voices. But they were a pretty niche audience, a niche audience until the, uh, had a pretty niche audience until the 70s. As you said, when a lot of these things got rediscovered, got popularized, and just really took off. And then you had an enabling game here with the emergence of Duchess and Dragon. Might have had a little influence on the fantasy world, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Done in somebody's basement in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, no less. And then there was also the emergence of early fantasy and science fiction and comic book conventions that began to take root in the early 70s. As a matter of fact, we made mention of Wendy dressing up as Red Sonia, and she would do a mini play at some of these cons. And you can see some of those videos online on Richard Peeney's YouTube channel. As a matter of fact, the chronicles Wendy actively being a part of that culture in the early 70s. Then also servicing these rediscovery of these fantastic fantasy authors, you had fantasy illustrators of Von Bode and Frank Frazetta just absolutely being celebrated by folks who maybe would have said of those illustrators, well, you know, they're kind of pop art people. But no, 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 no. They, these artists would begin to not only gain a popularity, but then develop really, really enthusiastic followings. Yeah, I was really surprised when Wendy named, maybe not so much Jack Kirby, but certainly Astro Boy. Hezuka. Yeah, thank you. As influences, because I really did, you know, her work is so much of its time that I was thinking of people like Von Bode and Frank Frazetta and the animation of Ralph Bakshi and others that, you know, I was sort of expecting her to, to cite them as influences. And I sort of forget that she was developing at the same time that these people were developing their styles. But it was really a zeitgeist of the age, these kind of really moody, super saturated colors and dynamic forms, you know, kind of organic rounded forms. And well, you, <laughs> you brought up wizard vans, right? Like the whole era of airbrushing the side of vans with epic fantasy scenes, you know, wizards riding unicorns, blasting dragons with fireballs or whatever. So Ray, you had mentioned that she was developing her own style while all of these other artists were coming into massive popularity. In addition to this, Wendy was entering into, although early, relatively speaking, but very quickly becoming a very saturated market and why ElfQuest was not picked up by the big two being Marvel and DC because Marvel had the rights to Conan, Red Sonja. They were doing John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Then over at DC, you had Fafford and the Grey Mouser in DC's Sword and Sorcery, Nightmaster in DC's Showcase, Stalker, which was a Steve Ditko book with four-issue run, but very cool. 
also at DC. Oh my gosh, Mike Grell's Warlord. Holy mackerel. That thing was a massive success over DC. Then back over at Marvel, you had Warriors of the Shadow Realms and Marvel's Weird World that was going on. And one of your favorites, Iron Wolf in DC's Weird Worlds anthology series. So man, it looked like fantasy was hot and the readers wanted more. Yeah, I think one thing that happened there is the realization that there were a lot of fantasy properties lying around. Unlike Star Wars, also an explosion in the 70s, right? The kind of space fantasies and all that. That had a very particular look that was kind of hard to, a little harder to rip off, right? In a way. <laughs> but there were lots and lots of ways to do fantasy, I think, early on. And there were so many of these properties out there that, yeah, ElfQuest got a little bit drowned out, which is sad because in some ways it's perhaps the best written of all of them and certainly has had a cult following for many, many years. People that discovered it at the time and got sucked into the world and the story, you know, and the creative vision of Wendy. Um, it, it probably deserved to take center stage earlier uh, than it did and really to be to be more known now than it than it is actually. Yeah, I agree with you, but I'll also say how this all worked to Wendy and Richard's advantage was after they had developed this really loyal following. They were able to take a larger cut of the publishing because they owned the property. And then were able to negotiate with every one of the big publishers of the day at any given time throughout Elf's Quest over 40 years of existence to have at various times have sections of the series published. So Marvel got in on it first and actually republished, I should say, Elf Quest in a series form in the 80s. And that was a colorized version of it. You'd have DC get in on it, I believe. Colorized by Wendy, right? Yeah, which is which is really cool that she she got to. That's another thing. She got to do everything on her own work. And you're right, she retained the rights. That's really it's a great point. You can't be understated. If she had been picked up as an uh, as an artist earlier in her career, she might have found herself on the wrong end of that rights battle, as many artists did, uh, and not owning her main characters, and would have had to move on and, and break, uh, you know, break open another world and develop a, a following all over again. Because they, you know, sort of didn't get picked up early on. You're right; they they maint they maintained ownership and creative control over these things, and were able to negotiate sweet deals with Marvel, DC, and then ultimately here, Dark Horse. Kudos to them. It's really, really great to see that kind of success being born and not having to compromise the artistic vision and direction that Wendy wanted to take the series in. So, Ray. But enough of all this. I want to talk about the story <laughs> and, and the art. That's what I'm talking about. So let's let's head over to that literary aisle where we will discuss both the story and the art of ElfQuest. Imagine another world much like Earth, but primitive, wild, and uncivilized. A world of prehistoric beasts and cave-dwelling humans. A world where each day is a test of survival, and where the night belongs to the Wolf Riders. Deep in the primeval forest they dwell, a small tribe of elves whose only friends are a pack of wolves. Every night they ride forth to hunt and howl, terrifying any superstitious human who dares cross their path. But all is not as it appears, for the wolf riders, like wolves, are really gentle and shy, a close-knit family group living in harmony with nature. 
Led by their dashing chief, Bearclaw, they fight only when they must to protect their hidden forest home and their loved ones. We're Kirby's kids. Hey, shout!